Welcome back, everyone. Oh, where were we? We, we were, were uh, here the whole time. We were in a state of play. Oh, damn! Oh, look at that. Oh. Not subtle at all. I didn't. Uh, I didn't leave like a long pause between saying hello and then being ambiguous about who I was saying hello to this week, and that disappoints me a little bit because that felt thematic. If it makes you feel better, we still didn't know that you hit record though. So. <laughs> <laughs> Next week, I'm actually just going to click for the first 15 minutes and then... Uh, oh, like a oh, clicker? Like a clicker. Spoiler alert. No, I'm actually just going to have like a clicker. Like when you go to lectures in university, I'm just going to oh. click a button over and over again. Yeah. Okay. 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 Yeah. Uh, welcome back. It is part three, episode three today of our Survive and Endure podcast. So thank you for joining us. For those of you that have listened to the first couple of episodes, thank you for joining us again. If you're joining us for the first time, what are you doing? Go back and listen to part one and two, please, because this is not a podcast where you can join in on the third episode and just pick up from where we're at right now. Please don't do that. It ruins the allure of everything that we're doing. Listen to part one and part two. Mm-hmm. Do you guys agree or disagree? I, I think I, even before you play The Last of Us, you should just listen to this podcast. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree and disagree with you both at the same time. I think there you can go. go the Daniel route where you listen to like maybe half of episode three and then you yeah. come back and listen to part four and part five in two to three years. Right. But on this show, I'm Baps. So you're the Daniel on this show. So I need you I'm to so come sorry. correct next time you attack me. Okay. I'm oh. so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. All right. I, I will okay. correct that in the future. It's okay. No worries. If you're going to come at me, you aim for the head. Okay. You best not miss. <laughs> I believe is the uh, the Omar quote or Thanos, depending on go. what stream of media you'd like to reference. Okay, so uh, yeah, thank you for joining us again. Um, last week we left off with uh, a pretty big moment in the story so far. We had just left Pittsburgh and we had gone into um, the kind of suburbs area and there is a confrontation between Joel and Henry. Um, and then we are left on this shore outside of the, of the area of Pittsburgh. And then we progress from the story from there. So just to catch you guys up from where we were at, um, but before we run into this week's story and what we played this week, um, thank you to everybody listening, as I said, at the beginning of the podcast, but it's kind of unexpected. We got some, um, some, a fan question or a fan observation that we wanted to, uh, to talk about and discuss a little bit. So I'm going to kick it over to you, uh, Baps. And uh, if you could let us know what that inquiry was, we will all weigh in on it. Yeah, 100%. So we actually got a write-in from Nate. So Nate is actually a regular write-in on the show, uh, person of interest on the movie podcast. So we actually sent a question over for this podcast now. Um, So Nate, just a little bit of background on him. He actually is streaming The Last of Us right now on his Twitch channel, like just to go through the whole game again. And he has that dope controller already, so we're all very jealous. But Nate writes in and says, Hey guys, in the last episode you mentioned how we really don't get to see too much of Joel's implied dark history. Well, that got me thinking about the last trailer for Part 2, and I think we will get to experience Joel's dark history a bit through uh, a bit through Ellie on her course for revenge. Maybe we'll even get Joel straight up asking her to not make the same mistake, same mistakes he did. Just a thought. So excited for this new game. Loving my replay through the first one and getting to follow it up with your excellent podcast each week. Looking forward to more as we all survive and endure. So thanks for that question, Nate. And if you want to check Nate out, check out Nate Plays Games on Twitch because. He's doing some really fun stuff there. And honestly, again, really jealous he has that control already. So we got to wait. Yeah, twitch.tv slash Nate Plays Games. 
But what do you guys think of Nate's question? Do you guys I, think uh, we'll get to see more of Joel's dark history, or do you think we'll get to like kind of maybe bridge the gap a little bit more of what's been going on these years that we weren't playing that like controlling him in the Last of Us game? Joel's dark twisted fantasy, uh, dark beautiful dark twisted <laughs> fantasy. Um, first of all, Nate, I am jealous that you have the controller to the extent where I have uh, I have also pre ordered the controller for in store pickup, and I got my phone call just about an hour ago, so I will be going to do that and getting it early. And uh, for you two, you both missed out on the chance. Uh, GameStop slash EB Games put it up today, and they had next day delivery available, and it has now sold out. Dang, so uh, we we missed out a little bit on it, and. Uh, yeah, so I'm excited to get the controller. It looks beautiful. Um, but to your to your question or to your comment or your or your observation, um, I honestly don't know. I, I my my inclination based off of what we know about Joel so far, and we'll talk a little bit about this on this week's episode. There's there's a couple of moments and there's a couple of story beats that get addressed at the university that I think kind of tie into this question a little bit. But I think the dynamic that we're going to see in the last of us part two between Joel and Ellie is going to be more so based on what we see through the last couple of chapters of this game. I don't know if Joel's history is going to be something that, um, that really needs to be addressed. I, I think that, you know, I think for us as, as, as players of the game and as observers of the game, I think we'd like to know more, but if I think about the, universe of the last of us i don't know what value it adds to the characters in the game uh characters like ellie to know more about joel's past because at this point in time with where the world is at in the last of us and the last of us part two it doesn't really matter um so whether it's you know it's dark past or whether it's his um you know his previous uh relationship with with sarah and with um the implied family that he had um, you know, prior to the events of the, of the first game's prologue. Um, I, I don't know. I don't quite know if, if that's something that's worth addressing. Um, I, I certainly hope so, I think, as just, you know, again, as observers and players of the game. But um, I, I would be much more interested in finding out about what, how Ellie and Joel's dynamic has uh, progressed and what kind of friction there is, especially knowing the conclusion of this game. How does that impact their dynamic um, over the five years that we haven't seen them interact? Um, I think that that's the thing that I'm really, really curious to find out between the two of them. Um, and and it, def it definitely seems like Joel is almost like a backseat character so far in this game from everything that we've seen from what Naughty Dog has shown us. Um, so I would be surprised if we, if we, uh, if we really dove into to Joel on a, on a deeper level. Um, Cause I don't, I don't I actually don't think he's going to be a big part of this game in the way that he was in, in the first one, obviously. Shay, I'd love to hear your thoughts on it as well. Yeah. Um, I don't, I don't, I don't see us going down that path. I mean, I, 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 I'm sure what we will get though is a lot more of those side conversations or, you know, little pickups that Joel will allude to his past but I can't see us really seeing it because it wasn't so much of a thing in the last game. Um, the most that I could see is maybe the beginning of The Last of Us Part Two, starting with a bit of the, how the last game ended, almost like a pickup, and then fast-forwarding a number of years. But I can't see it being a, you know, okay, let's go back and dive further into Joel because, like you said, um, both Daniels, it's really an Ellie game, I'd say, at this point. Yeah, I, I, I agree too. And I think everything we've learned about Joel already, we I think we've gotten all we've needed 
to know about him, the way the game is set up. I think it would be cool. And I, when I was kind of thinking about this earlier, like if we ever do get DLC, let's say for part two, um, I wonder if they kind of do an inverse of what we got with Left Behind, where the DLC is actually a Joel story mm-hmm. and will control Joel at some points. And get but his health is always low. Say that again? His health is always low because he's so old. <laughs> <laughs> you can't yeah, run we'll... much. <laughs> <laughs> But we'll get we'll get something like of him maybe, um, but yeah I think everything we've we've learned about Joel, um, we've seen all everything that's been important because we know that he's been a survivor up till now, um, but going forward I think we're still going to get a lot of crucial moments that are going to tie up uh, loose ends from the last game so um, I think we're Joel's past is still going to play a part, but I think that past is everything that has to do with the first game. Yeah, I think uh, I, I'm actually going to change my opinion because I don't like that she agreed with me. Oh, so no. I actually believe uh, The Last of Us 2 is going to be entirely based on uh, Joel's past. I actually think that about 95% of the gameplay is going to take place uh, in a world before the outbreak. Um, <laughs> but uh, that remains to be seen. Uh, no, but I I, I, uh, I, uh, I don't... Every, even looking at today's state of play... Ellie is definitely going to be the um, the focal point, right? And I think that, you know, we're going to talk about, we might as well start to dive into, to, you know, what we want to discuss this week because there are a lot of those um, hints and those side dialogue, um, especially when you get to the university, which we'll talk about later on, uh, talk about later in the podcast, um, where you actually do hear um, Joel open up a little bit and, and, and Ellie become a little bit more inquisitive about his, what his past is like and his reluctance to be able to, to share some of that, um, I think really, um, really kind of sets the tone for what to expect from Joel. And I just don't see the five-year period in which they've been in Jackson really, um, really changing that, the, the, the approach that Joel has taken in, 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 uh, diving into his past and discussing some of his past life. So, We'll see. Obviously, we don't know just yet. There's a lot of mystery surrounding part two, even with the last couple of weeks of us seeing new content and new gameplay. I still think that there's very, very little that we know. I think, you know, there's some stuff that we've talked about prior to the podcast that we believe might be the case, but I don't know if there's anything that we can really um, confirm or, or, or really at this point um, expect is going to be the, the, the story beats that, 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 uh, that we maybe talked about. I haven't read any of the spoilers. I know that you guys haven't read the spoilers because I refuse mm-hmm. to do that. Oh, um, God, no. I'm pretty uh, upset that I haven't unsubscribed from the Last of Us subreddit because I just follow, you know, I have some great art and, and some great discussion on the original Last of Us subreddit. But what I've actually been seeing a lot of is, is comments, one comment on the thread, and it's been deleted. So the mods are doing a really, really good job of uh, of deleting everything that's that's potentially um spoiler uh, right. Poor mods man so shout out to the mods on on the, the the last of us not the last of us part two subreddit just the last of us subreddit you guys have probably um avoided or or have been able to alleviate me seeing any spoilers over the last 10 days or so since those spoilers <laughs> first uh first leaked out so let's dive into things so we we, we talked about um we talked about the the sequence where they leave um pittsburgh and Henry and Sam make a decision to leave Ellie and Joel behind, and then they wash up on a shore. Joel then confronts Henry about leaving them to basically die um, from the monster truck. Um, I'm going to call it the monster truck. Uh, 
And then at that point in time, there's a confrontation and we go into the sewers where we start to see some really, really cool um, uh, art and uh, basically an indication that there was almost like a society that was living under the sewers, right? So we see some stuff like what looks like a classroom um, with, with, you know, a storyboard and with um, uh, kids toys. And there's some notes. If I've really started to start um, reading the notepads that I'm finding throughout the game. And you learn a lot in the sewers about, you know, why people are in the sewers and trying to rebuild a society. We're trying to rebuild a small, um, a small little group of people and, 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 and building out from there. And I think it's really, it's probably the part that I've explored the most in the game so far was just, you know, reading notes and, and, and trying to find every nook and cranny in the sewers to see what it was like to be um, living in that environment after, after outbreak day. Right. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on that too, before we jump into the suburbs. Yeah. Like, you know, I think as we, we've been saying already in the last couple episodes that, well, I think what Naughty Dog does so amazing in this game is really building this world out via the, the environment via the just the details of making things look <laughs> tired and we kind of joked like no that's just how boston looks but like everything you see in this game tells a story and you're, you're kind of finding these notes everywhere and you're finding just like these different um just like art well like, not artifacts i'm thinking of, i've been playing uncharted 4 so i've been <laughs> thinking like oh look at these treasures i'm finding but like you just kind of find things that kind of echo back to a, a world that doesn't exist anymore and you just you just fall deeper into this being like a real place. And it's just amazing how they're able to convey that just sense of realism um, and just totally buy into what they're showing you. Yeah. No, they, actually, they are called artifacts as well, Dan. Are they artifacts? Uh, I believe so. Yeah. Yeah. They're treasure, treasure in Uncharted 4, but uh, yeah. Uncharted, yeah. Yeah. And you got artifact artifacts numbers. and like medallions and you've got like comics and stuff too. So a lot the pendants, of the firefly pendants. pendants. That's yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah, I know exactly that. You guys are you guys are nailing it. Like this is um, this is episode three, and this is now where the game. I mean, we're about to end today's episode on a point in the game where shit hits the fan. Let's just say it that way. That that you're at this point of uncertainty, and you're like, oh my god, is the game over? So I'm excited to dive in. Yeah, um, I think. I don't want to. I don't want to talk about the end of the episode too much, but I really do think that a significant portion about the character impact and character growth and learning a lot about these uh, about the the Ellie Joel dynamic really happens in these few chapters. It's a very dense part of the game um, where you cover a lot of ground, both uh, emotionally and character development wise, but also physically. Um, we start off in the suburbs in Pittsburgh, and by the end of it, we are in Colorado um, at the University of Colorado, and then even further away from that. Um, as we as we approach the end of the episode, so we've got a lot of ground to cover. We're going to talk a little, about a lot today. Yeah, so we're back. Uh, we're back in the suburbs. Um, or sorry, not back in the suburbs. We're back in the sewers on our way to the suburbs, where we're looking uh, to find a radio tower. And along the way, we find out a lot about the community of people that are living in the uh, sewers, or used to be living in the sewers, and now have turned into clickers and bloaters and all that fun stuff. Um, great sequence. I think it's a lot of fun. You, you play in a lot of close quarters when you're underground. Um, I think it's probably one of my favorite parts of the game, just given how dark it is. Um, and just, you, you have to be very, very careful about the way that you're approaching smaller areas. There is a sequence where um, Joel and uh, Sam are separated from Ellie and Henry and uh, Ellie and Henry are being chased by clickers and runners. 
and you approach this massive area where you've got clickers and runners and there's an abundance of them. I think there's about eight or nine of them. Um, and it's not an easy sequence to get through if you're not careful and you're not, um, very particular about what you, how, how to go about approaching it. I think it's one of the first parts of the game where stealth really starts to come into play because you genuinely, genuinely cannot overpower that many people charging you. Um, and, and it creates a lot of difficulty, especially when you throw clickers into the mix. So um, you guys re- you remember the part that I'm referring to, right? When you kind of get split up and then you mm-hmm. go into an open area. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Right. Under, yeah, under and, the and th- sewers. Go ahead. Sorry. No, no. I was yeah, just under say, sewers, that's and that it's like, yeah. yeah. And like, it's literally like either it's stealth or you're running for your life here. Because if you try and take them on, just like you said, it's not going to, it's not going to end too well. No. I mean, I uh, I tried to be stealthy the first two times, and then I uh, I decided to um, upgrade my weapon, and then I started hitting everybody with a uh, with a <laughs> pipe, and then by the time that clickers were running at me, I just had enough shotgun shells. Let me let me preface this by saying that I have used so little ammo in this game up until this point in time. I've been I've been a stealthy player, but this part of the game, I was just getting frustrated because anytime a runner heard me, everybody would run at me. So I was like, you know what? (laughs) I'm going to hole up in this like small little cage. And if people rush me, I'm going to drop Molotov uh, cocktails and I am just going to hit them with a pipe as as much as I possibly can. And uh, after about two or three attempts, it worked. So So we play this very differently, you and I, where I just unload my ammo on innocent civilians. You're, You're just, you know, saving your ammo. Yeah, I think I have. Uh, I think I have more crevasses personally. I think that's really what contributes that's to right. my ammo retention. Yeah. Um, I'd love to hear uh, hear Neil's thoughts on that again. Neil, we're we're waiting for you to weigh in on the crevasse debate. <laughs> he, Maybe we'll hear about it on, he, the, uh, on the official on the official Last of Us podcast. I think he week. kind of brought it up very like subtly today in the in the state of play. He was like, "And over here, you'll see Ellie just go through a crevasse," and I was like, "Oh, interesting. She's gonna squeeze Tight right areas. Yeah." yeah. <laughs> He said crevasse too. He didn't say crevice to be no, clear. So that's how we know oh, yeah. that he was referring to yeah, yeah. what we were referring to. Yeah, cool. And then he winked um, at the camera. But <laughs> it was all audio, so I was really confused. If you play back the state of play, it's actually him just saying survive and endure over and over and over again and then subscribe <laughs> now at the beginning. Exactly. Uh, much like Joel in the game. Um, yeah, so I got through this sequence uh, Basically, by employing what Jay has done to every character, alive, dead, enemy, uh, friend, uh, up until this point. And eventually, I kind of got through it. Um, we'll talk about it a little bit later, because we didn't really get into it in the first podcast about the way that we're going about playing the game. Um, but we we start to kind of round out what our arsenal is going to be for the rest of the game in these chapters. So we'll, we'll talk about it a little bit later. But I would love to hear the approach that you guys are taking, you know, once we get the the, the flamethrower and once we get some of the upgraded weapons, mm-hmm. um, what kind of your favorite weapons are? What are the things that you really go to? Because I definitely started to establish my... Uh, my uh, preferred upgrades and the weapons that I'm using more so than, than others um, by the time that we get to the university. So we'll talk about that a little bit later. Sure. Um, so we get into the suburbs once we clear the sur- uh, the um, the sewers and once we read a lot about the nature of what was going on in the sewers. One thing that I really am trying to do at this point uh, as I'm playing through it is actually reading the notes as you find them because I find that there's actually additional dialogue and you'll hear joel or ellie comment on what you find if you really uh read what it is that you found Mm -hmm. so there's a couple sequences in the sewers where joel will say something like oh it looks like this was a classroom or 
oh, I, I really hope that this, per I, I guess it didn't work out for this person or whatever, but there's these small little bits of commentary that you miss if you're not reading them in the moment. So I've really tried to start to do that a lot more. And, and it was really the sewers where I started to notice that that was happening when I spent a little bit more time with the artifact. So mm -hmm. um, you learn a lot more about the lore of the game, I think, uh, going through that. By the time we get to the suburbs, um, he, uh, we start to hear a little bit about Henry's history with Sam. Uh, we learn that uh, obviously Sam wasn't alive um, when this all broke out, being younger, being the same or very similar in age to Ellie. Uh, Henry was five at the time of Outbreak Day, and he starts to talk about the things that he remembers um, from being in the suburbs and, you know, when he used to have people over and he says he remembers the smell of barbecue more than anything, which is something that I, I definitely uh, wanted to make a note of just because, again, that human element of, of Henry's character is such a small detail, but I think it tells such a story about what is most important to him. And it was about gathering and, and, and you know, sense and stuff like that, that he could remember from a very, very long time ago. Mm -hmm. And at this point in time, you start to hear Joel comment about, um, about what it was like to go through up, uh, uh, outbreak day as an adult, because obviously Sam and Ellie aren't born, but Joel has this very avid recollection. I think he's one of the only characters in this game that like distinctly remembers a life before the outbreak and had a life before the outbreak, and then uh, knows what it was like to lose everything in in the in the process of of the world turning into what it is right now. So he definitely has that veteran presence, and he's definitely that person that. Um, is able to give a little bit more context and really talk about what humanity was like prior to uh, prior to, to Outbreak Day and, and, and the current world that we're living in as we're playing The Last of Us Part 1. Um, and then I'll leave on the note with Joel here. Uh, Joel really sucks at darts. There's a sequence where you go into a house <laughs> in the suburbs and uh, Ellie and, and uh, Sam are playing darts and then there's a little mini game that you can participate in. I say participate because oh, you definitely don't play it. And Joel fucking sucks. Joel doesn't even hit the board. Um, and then he just kind of shrugs it off and walks away. But I felt like being like, no, man, you can't just, you can't do that, dude. You're supposed to be the guy here. You can shoot clickers right in the head and knock them over, <laughs> but you can't even hit a friggin' dartboard, man. So Come back, man. Yeah, he wasn't, he was not great. I lost a lot of respect for Joel and uh, <laughs> more so than, than I have lost respect for any character in this game. Even Shay shooting an innocent man 15 times in the head. Um, that was justified, yeah. though. I, I personally don't see it that way, but I do see why you might see it that way. Once again, in the state of play today, Neil Druckmann was like, hey, you got to shoot people 15 times in the head if they're asking you to. And then that's that's all it came, comes down to. I think the worst part of that is that I can't even confirm that because I didn't finish the state of play. So if that happened in the last eight it was the last frame. of play, it was the last was frame. It? Okay, cool. Yeah, I missed it. So I can't really confirm or deny that. <laughs> Um, so your thoughts going through the suburbs, anything that kind of resonated with you guys, anything that I brought up that maybe you guys want to expand upon? Cause I think it's a pretty, it's a pretty re reflective sequence. You don't really see a lot of combat, um, in the sewers or in the, uh, in the area up to the suburbs. Um, so what are your thoughts? Yeah. Up to the suburbs, definitely the, the biggest piece of combat you really have is when you're in that radio tower kind of room and uh, you're coming out of the sewers and it's just you're like kind of in this locker room-esque type place and it's just a bunch of zombies coming out i remember the first time i played it i didn't realize i had to go to the door right away or at least at a certain point so i was just getting like wave after wave and i'm like when are these guys gonna <laughs> let up and then eventually obviously i was like oh i gotta i gotta progress the game a little you gotta myself. skedaddle out of there buddy yeah so it was like I got out of there and Ellie, you know, makes that joke about, oh, that's, um, 
it says, you know, do not enter uh, infected inside. And she's like, they should put that on both sides. And I thought that was really funny. <laughs> um, I, I love the moment when we, uh, when we finally hit up kind of like the suburbs area, just a little bit before that they see an ice cream truck and Ellie's reaction to the whole thing is like, Oh, that's, that's kind of weird. Like, I don't get it. Like that's such a, it's such a product of its time. And it's funny, like in this pandemic right now, I've been seeing some ice cream trucks going by and I'm like, huh. That is kind of strange. You're absolutely right. Yeah. This man just drives around with ice cream and gives it to people. That's a little... Uh, In exchange for money? It's so weird. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but no, ice exactly... Ice cream like, prostitution? Oh, gosh. Uh, but yeah, exactly like you guys. I think out of all of the moments in this game, I think this is probably where we have the most downtime. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a, bit, it's a bit quieter, with the exception of, obviously, the radio tower sequence, and then our hearts get broken as we kind of continue playing. But um, I like that we have, I like that we have times for Joel and Henry to really get to know each other and kind of just talk about everything. And what follows that obviously is, uh, is definitely one of the most, in my opinion, heartbreaking moments of the game as well too. Cause again, like in a game about, you know, yeah, for a lot of this game, we're we're shooting and we're just trying to survive. Like this moment here, I, it feels like such a human moment, and it's it's up there with me with how this game starts with Sarah, where we're just seeing how this, I guess, this outbreak is really affecting other people as like even more so now, uh, like where this world is, and just seeing um, Henry and Sam's relationship with one another. Um, it's it it just it hits it hits hard man especially um last week we were talking about how like there's that moment when they're in that store and sam wants to take a toy but like henry's like no we only take what we keep with us and that's like another example of, like them just being total you know goats ghosts of their former shelves not goats ghosts of their former <laughs> former selves um and just strictly focusing on survival yeah and it's it's this moment that kind of comes up where you know Ellie is is talking to 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 Sam and just really kind of understanding like hey like you know what was it like for you like growing up and blah 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 and and then she she gives him the toy and you know Sam always kind of feels like oh I'm always letting my brother down and you know I'm not how are you never afraid and all these these great moments that kind of let us know more about Ellie and he's like yeah I am afraid I I don't like scorpions and I'm like that's do they have scorpions in this game? Like, is that something you have to look out for? You know, did scorpion survive the outbreak? <laughs> yeah. Like how does she know about scorpions? Um, Cause I've never seen a scorpion here. So they live in the uh, crevasses of uh, clickers. Oh, oh okay. That makes more sense then. And then, yeah. um, and it's, and it's also, you're seeing Ellie now with somebody around her age where we've yeah. typically in this whole game so far, I've only seen her with adults. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's an important sequence that kind of leads up to this point. I don't, I don't want to um, uh, jump too far ahead, but, but uh, when we're leaving the suburbs area before we get to the point where they're sharing some of these more intimate moments, um, there's this, there's this wave of, of enemies that mm-hmm. floods the streets and we see another monster truck a monster ish truck approach um, Ellie and Henry as they're out in the middle of the street, basically after you've cleared a bunch of buildings um, from from you're the crow's I, nest, pretty much. Yeah, you're basically in the crow's nest, so you're kind of sniping and, and and you're and you're shooting a lot of bullets. Um, 
unfortunately there was no way to stealth this. I couldn't go up and stab like all the people that were approaching the two of them. So I did have to snipe. Um, and I think that that's where it's probably, it's the most quantity of people that you definitely see like rushing you at any point in the game. Um, and you're, you're seeing the two of them kind of navigate and get closer and closer to the house that you're shooting from, where you have the vantage point from. And then there's a sequence there where you, it's a very short cutscene, but you see basically everybody being attacked by a separate infected. Um, and then there's that kind of, there's a tonal shift in Sam after that point. And I guess you don't really know why, but you can kind of suspect why it might be happening. And I think when they get into the house where they're, um, they're they're talking to one another and they really settled down after clearing out all the infected. Uh, there, there's something that Henry says in the suburbs beforehand. He talks about being, um, you know, kids will be will have the chance to be kids again. This is right after he talks about barbecue and and, and the things that he missed uh, prior to outbreak day. And Henry's optimistic until this point in time. Like he, you know, he's 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 grinding away. Yes, you know, he's a little bit harder on um, Sam um, in the way that we saw in the toy store with not letting him bring a toy along. Um, but he does have that that underlying optimism that I don't think anybody else really shares in this game. Um, and he he really believes that there's going to be a point where kids will will have an opportunity to be themselves again and experience the world the way that you know we're seeing Ellie experience the world with that that childlike sense of wonder. Um, mm -hmm. And then we, we get into this discussion, this moral dilemma that we haven't really talked about um, up until this point in the game. The clickers and the the infected are really treated as the enemy, and we don't really think about you know um, the the human the human element of them, the fact that they used to be people that have converted, they didn't just come out of nowhere. And so Henry and uh, um, Henry Sam? and and, and you no know, Henry and Joel are in oh, the Joel. around like a fire pit, and they're making food, and they're laughing and talking about what it was like, you know. When they were when they were much younger before Upbreak Day, and then you notice that Ellie and Sam are in a separate room, and they're talking about this huge moral dilemma about you know are they still people? Um, and this is the first time that there's really reflection upon you know is what they're doing wrong. Um, Sam talks about how uh, he believes, or he you know he, he tries to ask questions about whether there's an afterlife and whether Ellie thinks that there might still be people inside of the infected. So you start to get like these inquisitive philosophical questions and it's from the two youngest characters that we've seen in the game this far right and then mm -hmm. that's the sequence that then leads um to to sam being alone in the room and we see that he lifts up his pant and it turns out that he's actually been bitten so it makes sense um but i do think that it's such an important part of the game because you, you really don't there's not a lot of morality that gets talked about in this game especially when it comes to the infected and it's it's very interesting to me that Obviously, Sam is worried and he's concerned, and that's why he, you know, when when Ellie does give him the toy, he just kind of throws it on the ground or he he kind of shoves it out of the way. It looks like it's not important to him, and there's just this unsettling tone with Sam while, while they're in this room together. And Ellie even picks up on it. She says, "Are you okay?" And he kind of expands a little bit. But um, to have the youngest character in the game ask some of the most overarching philosophical and moral questions about you know what they're going through with the infected i think is is very telling and then obviously we wake up in the morning and there's a sequence where uh henry tells ellie that uh she, he's letting sam sleep in and then ellie walks into the room turns out sam has turned and then attacks ellie and then we're faced with this really really emotional sequence that um really impacts um the game from here on, I think that these are two characters that get talked about almost, um, almost, 
uh, recurrently at every chapter throughout the rest of the game, right? So, mm-hmm. Babs, I'll let you kind of take over here because these are two characters that mean a lot to you. So if you can kind of just go through what happens in their in their little kind of safe house area and then about, you know, the, the way that you feel about these two characters and the way that, you know, their dynamic kind of changes Ellie and Joel's relationship or the way that they interact, I, I would love to hear your thoughts on it. Yeah, I mean, just like you said, you know, Ellie goes to wake up. Um, Sam realizes that he has, I guess he was scratched by a clicker and attacks her. And from this moment on, you know, like, this is not going to end well. Um, So, of course, what does Henry do after he realizes that his brother wasn't protected. He goes and he places the blame on Joel and he points a gun at him. And you just know, again, this is not going to end well because for a moment there was peace. And this game does such a good job of like making you feel like you're safe just for a little bit. It gives you that. It just gives you that like this is your little haven just for a little while. You could you could take a breather before it just rips your heart out again. Um, and then we think, uh, we think um, Henry's going to shoot Joel he and then we end up seeing that he shoots Sam, and he kills uh kills his own brother, and then he kills himself, and mm-hmm. is at this point I was I literally just when I was playing this, I just like paused the game and I was just like, man, like this game, <laughs> this game is just so ruthless in its pursuit of realism, and I think when you look at it makes you question how you would react in a situation like that. You know, like, you know, I have a sibling if it's her and I surviving out in this world and it it comes to something like that, like what would I do? And it's weird thinking like that. I don't like having to think like that. And I think what, (laughs) what makes this whole pandemic thing that we're going through even scarier is that, you know, uh, thank God it's not like a zombie outbreak. First of all, Um, not yet, but, you just kind of like, it just makes you think like, shit, like, what would I do in this situation? And if I had to do that, if I had to like take my own sibling's life, could I even live with myself? And clearly Henry couldn't and he ended his own life too. Mm-hmm. Um, how did you guys feel in that sequence? Yeah, for me, it was, uh, it was probably the most, it was, it was that one of those second jaw dropping moments. I mean, we went from having, sarah's death to to having this and i remember immediately being like whoa he's turning like this this is crazy what's going on and then boom it, it just kind of happened so i'll be honest it was it was quite quite shocking and i i really felt for these characters because i grew to like them and i and i knew that they probably wouldn't be with me forever i assume right. i would drop them off somewhere I just didn't. <laughs> yeah. expect to, <laughs> I didn't expect it to go that way. I was like, "Oh, we'll we'll part ways at like a certain point, and then we parted ways at a very interesting point." Yeah, you do drop like, them somewhere. You drop them into a grave. I don't, think, that's he, I don't think they even did that. I think they just left them. Oh, <laughs> they're like, you know, it's time to go. Yeah. Um, yeah, because if you learn anything from like like if I look at Walking Dead, for example, like Walking Dead's very much like has that where it's like, oh, here are these companions that you're meeting. You're going to part ways, but it's leaving the door open for you to kind of maybe meet them again later. And we kind of got a little tease of that with Sam and Henry earlier. Like we see them and then they kind of flee and then they come back. But now it's like, this is their story is done. 
And at the end of the day, I think it just reinforces the idea in this game that, you know, nobody is safe. This is a world that has changed. And sometimes there's not always a happy ending. And that's something, unfortunately, that, you know, weighs on Joel and it weighs on Ellie because now she's seeing someone her own age again who she was, I guess, hoping to have some type of connection with at all. And it's like, no, you know what? There's no, that doesn't exist in this world. I think uh, one of the things that is the most tragic about the way that it kind of goes down is, is just how fast it is. Like it, it doesn't, death sequences are drawn out in a lot of forms of media. Like you feel something coming. And in this, right. like, I, obviously I know this happens having played the game before, but you don't necessarily feel like it, it all happens within about a five minute window because you go from saving them in the streets of the suburbs to them laughing and kind of talking to one another to then, you know, that philosophical conversation that we talked about between uh, Ellie and Sam. And then within about a minute, you go from Sam being uh, infected to attacking Ellie to being killed to then uh, Henry killing himself. And it happens within like, it's within two minutes. It can't be longer than that. So you see so much transpire within such a short period of time. And to your point, uh, Babs, like I think it it really does like kind of, it gives you that sense of of how fragile all the characters are in this game, whether you like them or whether you don't like them. Anybody's fair game to kind of go down uh, down a dark path or, or potentially, you know, be killed by by what's going on in the world, right? So, I think it's it's heartbreaking that that you have two characters that I think are so important to their original um, to their to their first part of their journey as they're going through Pittsburgh, and it just like it transpires and it ends within such a short period of time, and then that's really it. Then it's just a matter of moving on, right? Um, right. And the next sequence at that point in time, you know. We will we'll talk a little bit more about uh, um, Henry and Sam in the next chapter as we're, as we're on our way to Jackson. But um, basically, this is the first time that we see uh, a significant period of time, um, like pass after the game has started. Um, keeping aside the part where you know uh, Sarah is shot and killed at the beginning of the game, and then twenty years, mm-hmm. but we actually see. Um, the journey we don't see the journey of of them going from outside of Pittsburgh to Wyoming and by the time that it picks up it's the fall uh Joel is wearing a nice uh flannel so he's got <laughs> that somewhere that's um, how you know it's fall Joel uh Ellie has a nice windbreaker which I assume she was able to get at a very good discount um, it almost between- looked like a kit windbreaker too it did. It was nice. It was like a Nike, uh, like a Nike or like a Kith Winbrick. Yeah, it was just very <laughs> pink, and I, I love the detail on it. And uh, I think she's enjoying it because she's wearing it. Obviously, yeah, there are definitely course. high beasts in this game. They are. Yeah, Joel is actually wearing Timberlands because he's from New York City, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> and he's got a Yankee hat on. You, uh, you, you can uh, enable it when you uh, purchase it after you beat the game. Uh, it's, uh, okay, it's okay, a DLC, okay. eh? It's a, yeah, it's a loot box you have to open up. It's great. Yeah, you get a Yankee fitted and a pair of Timberlands, and then you get a fur coat, too. <laughs> you basically play the game as Raekwon from Wu-Tang Clan. It's time <laughs> that you play through it if you'd like to. Oh, um, my God. So, yeah, you get to Jackson, Wyoming, or you're out on the outskirts of Jackson, and um, some very important small details here. And if you don't explore, you will not experience them. So there is a point where you're, you're, you're – 
at a dam and you're trying to cross this dam. And once you get to the other side of this dam, there's a small area that you can navigate towards. And there's a grave there. And there's a, I think there's a teddy bear or something like that sitting on the, on the grave. And mm. you hear Ellie uh, comment on it. And she says, um, oh, I forgot to leave the robot at Sam's grave. So you know that they treated them with respect and that they, right. that, that they did bury them, right? right? And at that point in time, Ellie says, I want to talk about it. And Joel says, uh, no, end of discussion. Let's move on. And, and that's it. Like he doesn't, he doesn't address it again. Ellie is kind of upset and she, you know, apologizes for bringing it up. But then you do again, get that sense of, 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 um, Joel just being that, that person that, you know, is going to go through turbulent times and he's going to, he's going to just navigate whatever that looks like as hard as it might've been. I think it weighs on him. And I think you start to see Joel crack a little bit in the next couple of, of moments of this game. But at this point in time, Joel is very much like, you know what, it happened, what happened, happened. It does. There's no, it doesn't warrant us talking about it any further. Um, and that sucks because for somebody like Ellie, like it obviously is going to have a significant impact on her, but Joel is just not available at this point in this game to have some of those conversations with her. So we see the two of them um, get the dam, um, cross this the dam. This is the most like, uncharted part of this game as well, too, the way you get this dam up and running again. Yeah. like It's like it's like a huge puzzle that you're just going through and figuring out each part because this part leads to the next part and like i felt like damn this is this is they're flexing their uncharted muscles right now with mm-hmm. this with this puzzle Easy. even the way that it looks like the yeah. the colors and and the game is very gray up until this point but you see a lot of greenery um you see a lot of uh of like sunlight that's happening during the day so definitely yeah, i could see that Shay, you were gonna say something i'm sorry no i was just gonna say that this this the coloring in this scene is always what stood out to me the most because it's it's so immediately gloomy and it's it's obviously it's following such a gloomy moment in the game so when we're at this point and you know yeah they're wearing their fits they're, they're going around they're, they're trying to get this dam up and running you kind of have an idea okay they're they're on they're on their way to the brother now like that's kind of what's happening here so exactly that this is now where naughty dog takes a lot of their experience from different games throws it in together but what my favorite thing is each season in this game so far has such a distinct look it's like it's almost like like three different cameras have been following them and they keep changing the lens on it so you remember each season so dramatically it's not even like a little bit meshed together no this is summer this is fall this is winter you know what's happening yeah this is very it's very distinct of what Mm -hmm. they're what they're telling us here or showing us here in this, yeah. in this season. We don't see any clickers here. We don't see any runners. Um, it Thank really God. is just a giant puzzle. And then uh, very shortly after, we get to a the, the dam or like the main part of the dam um, where they're trying to get the water up and running or trying to get the hydro up and running, I believe, when you get inside. Um, but basically, you're, you're approaching this camp area and we see Tommy for the first time that we've seen him since um, what went down in the events of the prologue of the game. And then we meet Maria and Maria is revealed slowly to be Tommy's wife. And um, no questions are asked about Ellie or who Ellie is. I think it's just universally accepted that she's a child and Joel is escorting her um, to wherever they have to get to. I thought it would be incredibly weird if Joel was like, well, this is my wife, Ellie. And then Tommy was <laughs> oh, like, this is my wife. Oh, God. Maria. Um, is, that, is that okay in this world? Is that why? No, it didn't. It didn't. It's it's not. A, it's not the 1700s. So it's not the standard in the world yet. Mm, good. Um, thankfully. So um, 
so yes, there's no real question about uh, uh, Ellie at this point in time. And Maria takes Ellie and there's a very, very heartwarming sequence where she talks about horses and how she's ridden a horse before, which I think is almost a little bit of a, of a, of a, uh, of a precursor to what we saw in some of the state of play today where Ellie was riding a horse. Um, so they talk about horses, they talk about going out and potentially riding them a little bit later. And at this point in time, Tommy and, and Joel kind of peel away um, because Joel is essentially going to ask Tommy to um, escort Ellie the rest of the way to the fireflies in Jackson. Yeah. Basically um, pass the baton onto him. Yeah. And he doesn't want a part of it anymore. He doesn't really, which is really sad, actually. It's kind of tragic because you think that, you know, with everything that they've seen and the indication that Ellie gives you at this point in the game, which is that she trusts Joel, there's that moment where Joel and Ellie are actually going their separate ways when they first get into the dam. And, and Ellie is so, like, possessive of Joel. And I don't mean in a bad way, but, like, she's afraid to have Joel leave her because of course. she trusts him, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And she goes, Joel, like, like, and he goes, no, it's okay. Maria's going to take care of you. And he has to reassure her. And then it's just such a, a a sad moment that like behind closed doors, he's so willing to just give her up and, 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 and not take into account the way that she might feel attached to him and what they've been able to build up. Um, and, you know, he attributes that to Tommy being the better fit and better person that can right. take care of her. But I think a part of that is also... I think Joel is scared. I think, you know, that there's that, there's that element of not revealing how he actually feels. And I think that there's a part of him that's scared of failing because, you know, he failed Sarah and failed to protect her from what he needed. And even though it's not really said, I think that that might be an underlying um, concern of Joel's at this point in the game that we don't really get to explore that much more. Um, yeah. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, I think at this point, Joel knows that if he commits any more to this girl that he's just opening himself up to care about something again. And I don't think he wants to at this point. And that's why he's ultimately trying to decide or convince Tommy like to continue on because he knows if he continues on this journey, he is going to get too attached to her. And I think that's his fear is opening himself up again and trying to love another person again. He's lost Sarah. He's lost Tess up to this point, And he knows that, he doesn't like having to rely on anyone or have anyone rely on him because of everything that he's had up, like everything that he's lost up to this point, everything that he's had and he's lost up to this point. Um, and yeah, I, that, that was actually a moment I was going to bring up Ortega. Like when he was, when Dan, when she was so hesitant to kind of go with Maria because it's like, she doesn't know these people. Why would she trust them? Mm-hmm. Um, and when you think about it, like Tommy is the most logical person to try and help, finish his journey because mm-hmm. one he uh, he knows like the fireflies as kind mm-hmm. of stated earlier in the in the game by marlene and also um or tess tess or marlene i can't remember which one spoke about that this, they say it in this moment too they talk about how you're, you know, you're an ex-firefly you you know these guys in and out right so right um yeah and it's that and he has basically like a colony going there so he could have like a team of people help him finish this mission um mm-hmm. yeah what about you Shay where were you with the scene Yeah I mean it, it, this is a great moment because it leads up to one of my favorite moments that we'll we'll talk about pretty soon here um but yeah you're 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 getting in this uncomfortable environment but it's also the first time you're seeing a community you haven't seen this yet you've been pretty much just seeing these two characters going from place to place and the most interaction you've really had has been Bill and Henry and Sam who as we know are dead now so 
getting together with these people, seeing how far they've come. They're in this dam. They're trying to get the electricity up. They conveniently get the electricity up as soon as your characters get there. And then from there on, we're, we're, we're in a firefight. And and you can tell there's hesitance in in Tommy's crew because they've been getting a lot of these attacks, they keep saying. You know, people are coming in, bandits. So how the sequence plays out is, I, I, I mean, it's, it's fantastic. There is one thing that we kind of skipped over. Um, no, there is not. Okay. <laughs> Just kidding. Go ahead. There's a, there's a, a very brief moment where Tommy talks about having gone back to Texas to their house and he presents Joel with a photo of Sarah. And right. Joel yes. uh, says no. He says he doesn't want to, to keep it. He says I'm all right. No. I think he says I'm good or I'm all right. And it reinforces what we just talked about, which is that Joel does not like to hang on to the past. He is very much motivated to navigate the future. And Babs, you talked about it earlier, like in a different context about what you would and wouldn't do in certain scenarios. And I really thought about this. It's a slow sequence when you're in the dam. So you don't really reach combat until um, at least about 10 or 15 minutes into, into interacting with Tommy and, and exploring the dam. Um, but as I was following Tommy and he's talking about, you know, his workers and, and, and the men that are that are trying to get things up and running again, um, I was just thinking about, you know, if I was in that position and I had lost, you know, a daughter or, or, or a child, would I want to hang on to a photo in the apocalypse to be reminded of what I've lost? And I really couldn't settle on either side of it. And I think right. it's such a it's such a small moment, but A, it builds a lot of character for Joel, but it but. Um, B, it also challenges you as a player to think about the decision that he makes and whether you would be, if you were in that position, would you make that same decision? And it doesn't have to do with life. It doesn't have to do with taking somebody's life. It's just a matter of hanging on to a photo. And I couldn't really settle on it. Like I was like, I see the merits of why somebody would want to be able to reflect on their past and see you know, their daughter again, whether it was in a photo or not. But there's also the other side of it that it's a reminder of what you've lost the whole time. And, you know, Joel we right. learn later on in the game can be very destructive and he can be very um, angry and very upset with the way that things are. Um, and I don't know, you know, it's hard to kind of get a sense of what's going through his head in that moment, but um, he doesn't really react. He's not really emotional. You don't see him cry or anything like that. He very like very calmly just says, no, thank you to the photo. Yeah, and I think that that's stoic. such a, yeah, he's super stoic and you don't really see him crack in any way, shape or form. And if you think up until this point in time, the one thing that would make him crack is something regarding Sarah and, uh, and it just doesn't happen here. So right. important and moment. Ellie still doesn't know about who Sarah is. No. Like Ellie doesn't know who this major character of, of Joel's past is. Um, so that's, I think that's also a, a, something that he wants to maybe protect her from that from also carrying that weight that he carries with him. For sure. Um, so at this point in time, we're in the dam. We have had a conversation with, or we're on the way to, sorry, after the photo with Sarah, we go and have the conversation with Tommy. We're having the conversation with Tommy. Tommy basically says no. And then we learn that there is some um, history that we already kind of knew about between Tommy and, uh, and uh, Joel. And there's some sort of fallout that we don't quite know what that fallout was. We hear about it as they're getting to the dam that um, Tommy told Joel at one point in time that he never wanted to see him again, um, which is kind of strange because when Tommy does see him, his, his first reaction is to actually hug him. Um, right. 
and he and and they kind of bond very quickly. And then when they're having this conversation in a confined space, you start to see that tension unroll again. And I would actually place that on Joel because Joel seems to have this entitlement that he protected Tommy, um, and that you know he owes him this, and he's very entitled to that assistance from Tommy. And Tommy's right. approach is actually very um, different than what you would expect. He actually says, you know. I kind of run the show here. It would be a mistake for you to threaten that. Exactly. Um, and and it's just this huge power shift that I don't think Joel is expecting, and you don't really expect either. Um, and then at this point, we basically are interrupted while they're in this room, and we find out that there are raiders that are attacking the dam. And then we go out and we start to uh, to get try try to get back to Ellie and Maria, who are basically separated from you at this point. So um, there's a, a little bit of a combat sequence. It's not very long. It definitely requires shooting. You cannot sneak up on these dudes. They have, no, uh, it's, yeah, they have it's a lot a, of weapons. It's running gun time here for sure. So all 15 bullets you get in the game are, are, <laughs> uh, are very useful at this point in time and your bow and right. arrow. <laughs> uh, but not only that, like when, uh, when Joel is kind of like talking to Tommy about like taking over his mission with Ellie, Ellie hears all of this and literally decides... I'm getting the hell out of here now because nobody wants me and I'm going to go kind of forge my own path. And it's like, you're dealing with the invaders and you're also dealing with having to track down Ellie. Um, so it's like, it's a lot happening in this sequence. And it's kind of sad. Like it is really sad that, you know, Joel doesn't, I forget if Joel realizes that Ellie overhears him or whether you find that out once you get to the house that, that Ellie's hiding in. Um, but when you do find Ellie, after you pursue her on horseback and you have to kill a couple of of, uh, of raiders that are on the outskirts of, of the dam, you get to Ellie and she's, you know, kind of holed up in this house and she's got um, a diary. She's this, reading through it. This is this is absolutely one of my favorite moments. Yeah. yeah. And it's such a funny it's su it's such a funny moment because the, obviously the stakes are high. You know that something upset her that she ran away. You know that Joel and Tommy are in a very tense moment between the mm -hmm. two of them because Tommy doesn't want to take over and Joel definitely doesn't want to finish the mission with Sarah and Ellie's or Ellie. Sorry, with with Ellie. Um, and Ellie says uh, her first thing is she talks about how trivial some of the things that are in the journal are like she was like, <laughs> it's so trivial to talk about movies and, and boys what to wear were concerned and boys. Yeah. And it's it's such a fun it's such a. A small sequence, but it's 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 so fun to like look at her perspective again and and try to understand, as somebody that's never been able to experience that before, how strange that must be to yeah. her. That like, those are the biggest concerns. Yeah, yeah. That's all you have to mm -hmm. worry about growing up. You didn't have to worry about dying, leaving your front door. Yeah, and I, and I love the moment that they kind of they kind of share here because this is really where Ellie confronts Joel, but no longer as this aggressive force she she confronts him in a way where she's curious and you can tell at this point now she's like i really care about you i really care about this i need an answer here and you know she she brings up sarah at this point and i think joel's reaction here and i i was i texted daniel um baps sorry at this point in the game and i was like man at, at the acting in this scene by troy baker and ashley johnson is like phenomenal. And I think Babs, you said it was Oscar worthy because you just see oh, Joel easily. turn around and he's like, you are treading on some mighty thin ice here. And it's just the delivery of that line. It's, you can, you can hear the straining in his voice because this is the first time he's going to be talking or being brought up with, with a girl like Ellie. Yeah. 
and he straight up tells her he's like i'm like you're not my daughter and i'm like and i sure as hell ain't your dad like yeah like it's like laying it on the line here and again just when you think this game is going one direction because it would have been so easily for them just to kind of make up here but Mm -hmm. no they they keep that riff they keep that weird die that weird like where are we dynamic now because obviously they're still going their way together but it's like he says what he feels in that moment. And obviously we all say things when we're angry, but he kind of says that to her. And it's like, like, where do you go from there? But before they could go anywhere, there's more bandits who are coming to the house. So more shooting time. Yeah. You don't really get to, um, you really don't get to reflect on it for very long and it escalates super quickly. And Joel, doesn't show a lot of emotion. He's gotten angry at, at points in this game and he's been frustrated, but he really like, he snaps. He's, he's at a, yeah, he's, you know, he talks about, you know, her crossing a line and, and treading very, very thin ice and in a threatening way in an imposing way. Um, and you've never really seen him react to Sarah in that, or sorry, to Ellie in that way. And the only person that, that will bring that out of him is very clearly Sarah and, and really nothing else. Um, and Ellie, I don't think understands the severity of it. Cause that's the reason that she brings it up. Obviously Maria brings it up passively to Ellie. Um, but Ellie doesn't realize that it's going to set him off the way that it does. And, uh, and it, it creates a very, very tense moment. And it's really sad because you're cheering for the two of them to be partners throughout this game. Right. And everything that you've done with the two of them up until this part of the game has has been building towards the two of them going on this journey together and it's kind of you feel a little bit betrayed by joel and especially because you're controlling joel at this point in the game to just want to give up such such as an important piece of the dialogue and the narrative so far and probably the most important part of the game up until this point in time and throughout the rest of the game is ellie so it just it almost feels like a betrayal as the player as well um and then yeah the 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 house is attacked um this is a pretty fun sequence where you're you're using a very 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 tight quarters to uh, to shoot a couple of people. Again, it's a sequence where you probably have to have to be in a shootout. Um, I used Molotov cocktails because I like burning people. Okay, um, okay, okay, okay. And uh, and I got out of the situation relatively easily. Um, he Joel seems very heartless in the house, but very very quickly after that. Um, you leave the house and there's this sequence where you're riding the horses to get back to the dam. And there's this moment where like you see Joel crack a little bit. Cause he's, he's, he's behind Ellie. He's riding a horse behind Ellie. And he just kind of, you see this moment where he reflects on what he said in the house and how just like heartbreaking that must've been for Ellie to hear. And you almost see this, like this look of despair come on his face and he just doesn't really know what to say. And he feels upset by it. There's a lot that you feel in that moment. And it's the most that Joel has shown both the player in the game and anybody in this game so far in the way of, of him having attachment or having feelings of remorse or regret about the way that something has happened. Um, and then luckily here, we get to a point where um, Joel decides that he is not going to give up Ellie and he insists to Tommy that he goes to the university. And he does it in a very, very subtle way. He just says you know, give your horse back to Tommy. Tommy kind of fights Joel on it. Um, Joel really doesn't admit that he's doing it because of Ellie's concerns. He really just says, you know, Tommy, Maria would kill me if something happened to you. Um, but I think we, you know, as the, as, as the player of the game and knowing what we know about the two of them's dynamic, this decision is made because he's, he, he wants to, 
be there for Ellie through the rest of her journey. It's it's not really about him being threatened by Maria because of what happens to Tommy. So it's a very heartwarming moment. I didn't expect that when I first played the game. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a moment where you really get to see Joel crack for the first time. So uh, what, what are your thoughts on that? That whole sequence. Yeah, I mean, yeah. At this at this point, um, sorry, Daniel, uh, we're we gonna go. No, please go. No, I just yeah, exactly what you guys said, and pretty much what I've been saying, and I, and I like at this point that when we we kind of leave this area is when you know Joel kind of comes to terms with with everything, and he's like, you know what, Tommy, you go ahead, you do your thing. Um, I got it from here, and it's just that, and you, and I love the sequence because you see Ellie's face and how she has like a smile on there, and she <laughs> she she gives back the horse to Tommy, and she kind of just gets back on the horse with Joel, and you know, off they go into the sunset. But it's it's a great moment because now you're like, wow, we've we've bonded. It's like when you played played Red Dead Redemption two and you bond with your horse. These two have now <laughs> these two have now bonded together. The bonding has maxed out. Yeah, um, yeah, and I think that's exactly it. Whenever I think, even just in our own personal lives, whenever you have a fight with somebody and you kind of recollect and you just kind of make up with one another, like it's like you're on another level now. Like there's like you've you've overcome something together, and even though it was an argument with one another, you know they're it's like now with them it's ride or die. They're together. There's no passing her off. There's no giving her somewhere else. It's this moment that you kind of realize that I think Joel's like, you know what? I'm going to be forever tied to this girl in some capacity. And I'm going to do whatever it takes to complete my mission now. Because he knows that she needs him now. And I think Mm -hmm. as much as they kind of argued and threw insults at each other and he kind of just saw her as a mission. It's at this point now that you're really starting. He's really starting to become that father figure in her life and she just at the end of the day just wants to be protected um you know and as we head to the university this is another great sequence this is another this is probably one of the biggest areas in the game too because like this like this university map was massive like Mm -hmm. just kind of figuring out all the different corridors and and halls and kind of the different floors of the university um there's so much to explore here and again it's just naughty dogs is doing their thing and just creating a world that just feels so lived in um and you're as you're kind of going through these different university classrooms and all of that um but yeah this is this is a really fun sequence i disagree i think this is a this is the part of the game where i really don't like it anymore (laughs) you you always delete your save game at this point i do i actually i i i baps this part i I get to this point and i'm like this is is so so fucking good but then this <laughs> stupid university campus. I'm gonna go play Mario Odyssey. Um, there, it reminds you me super of Super Mario Odyssey. Okay, super, you're not on a no, you're no, not no, on no, a no. first name basis with him. It's not super. I refuse to believe it's super. I've never played the game, but I assume <laughs> it's not super. Um, this part reminds me of the sewers because I think um, very similar to what we talked about with uh, with environment building in the sewers. If you read the notes left in the dorm rooms by the students, um, there's actually a, a very impactful um, artifact that you can find, which is a student that realizes that they're not coming because um, things have been shut down. So they talk about having to make a run out to the city to go get more food, that they're running out of supplies. And then you get to one dorm room and you read it, and it's a very, very concerned 
um, person that's living in the storm and they're basically like, oh my God, they're not coming. Like they realize that we're too far out of the city outskirts to be able to, to get to us. What do we do? Like what happens now? Um, and you can imagine, you know, being a student in a dorm, like you already feel isolated. It's like, I've lived in dorms before. I can't imagine having been in a dorm and expecting like, like a rescue only to find out that nobody can actually physically make it to you and how isolating that can feel for, for, for people that are, you know, obviously like young adults and stuff like that. So it, this, this sequence really got to me. It was, it was very sad um, reading about what it, what it must've been like to be in those dorms. And again, just a testament to the world building of this game. If you take the time to try to understand what the experience of people uh, were going through outbreak day and that initial outbreak, um, they do such a good job. Naughty Dog does such a good job of like, of just painting a picture and illustrating what it's like to be somebody in this universe, not just Joel and Ellie. So I spent a lot of time in the university. I tried to find every nook and cranny, um, very similar to the sewers. I went in every room that was possibly access, uh, accessible. I got off the horse a bunch of times. Anytime that I saw something that looked like it might be, uh, something that you can be interacted with i would kind of jump in there this is also one of the first times that i remember uh the factions portion i remember there's a map in factions that actually is the university so as i was going up the steps in one area i remember uh playing um, factions back in 2013 so that was a lot of fun <laughs> um but yeah sets the stage for for a lot of, of exploration um this is where okay so the university up until this point you have most weapons You've crafted, you've gotten the ability to upgrade weapons. I would love to pause before we get to the to the last big narrative beat before we move on to the end of the podcast today. would love to talk about it just very briefly. You get the flamethrower at the university once you mm -hmm. get into the labs. Um, and just to, to break down why we're at the university, we're going to a lab where it's the last known location of where the fireflies were working um, to, to either find a cure or... Um, just basically established like some sort of hope that things were going to, to, to develop and, and this outbreak wouldn't be forever. So that's the reason that we're going there. And also because Ellie, um, obviously the mission is to get her to the fireflies. Um, but you get into the university, you get the ability to use the flamethrower, which is fucking awesome. Um, <laughs> really but at this point in time, it, it, yeah, it does. It really does. And, and it also just regular people, like just being able to, to, to have a flamethrower is always awesome. But at this point in time, you've pretty much completed your arsenal. So you have the ability to upgrade a ton of weapons. What do you guys remember using or what are you using as you've played through it? Or if you've gone back and played chapters, what's your favorite weapon? What's your preferred weapon to upgrade? What was something that was kind of your default? Um, and how did you approach combat um, from you know here on where you have your full arsenal available to you? Uh, for me... Um... This this playthrough that I that I was doing now, I actually wanted to use the um, bow and arrow more to have more because the only way I like to play this game is stealth, and that's pretty much any game that I get my hands on. I just love playing stealth, and I love trying different ways to play stealth. Call um, of Duty, except except Call of Duty. You'll be honest, but I but I get it from from Hitman, for example, the Hitman games. That's such a you know, reliant feature of the game and such a, it, it rewards you so much that when I'm playing this game, every time I played it, I'm like, okay, this time I'm going to be a bit more slow with it. But now when I'm playing it, I'm like, okay, I know how these guys react. So I'm just going to go here, 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 stealth, knock them out and then kind of move on. But arrows primarily, when I first played the game, it was a lot of the revolver and the rifle. 
Um, I don't, I think I very rarely used the flamethrower because I was afraid I wouldn't find much, um, I guess, ammo for it. So I was always kind of afraid of that. Um, and a lot of the, uh, nail bombs. What is it about the, do you, um, do you plant the nail bombs or do you throw them? I, I typically will plant them. Um, but on my second or third playthrough, I would just chuck them like grenades. Okay. I'm definitely in that checking category. Like I, I, I dropped them actually in the university. I dropped them quite a bit. I, I left them in like, if I was playing a sequence that I had just failed, for example, I would leave them in a doorway that I knew ads would, would come through. Um, but up until this point in game, anytime I did a nail bomb, I would basically be throwing it at somebody that might be running and, and hoping that it did residual damage. So mm -hmm. the nail bomb I underutilized. And then I, I found myself using it a lot on the university grounds because you do face a lot of quantity at this point in time. Um, Babs, how about you? What, what's your approach? Yeah, I, I, I like, I like approaching things stealth, like even coming, like, like Shay was mentioning Hitman. I was kind of think of like the Arkham games where like, I like taking things slow and kind of really planning out my attack. And this game luckily allows you to do that. So I, again, I love using the bow revolver was one that I, I used a lot when I had to get into those gun, I guess, confrontations, but, uh, I crafted so many shivs in this game and like, Oh buddy. I made so many shivs in this game. It's just, I was just crafting them. Like it like, like a jailhouse, <laughs> like, like no tomorrow. Like they were going out of style, man. I just kept crafting so many shivs and I, I never got over the animation of killing someone with a shiv. I'm just going to say mm -hmm. it. I, I loved it. I love seeing it. Shivs are also important because you get uh, shiv doors that you get to unlock. And I, I, exactly. uh, I don't, I don't remember them a lot from the first playthrough that I had, but I found, I think about, maybe four or five of them up until this point in time. I don't know yeah. how many there are in the game, but I have found qu quite a handful and yes. they're usually very resource heavy and they're very resource rich to upgrade, to right. be able to max out your health. So shivs, I think are probably one of the most important things to always be able to, if you don't have one on hand, find the materials to be able to craft one so that you have the ability to right. use one to take out and that clicker. Yeah, exactly. You can take yeah. out that clicker. Um, yeah. And also, obviously like with the flamethrower, like, being able like to especially at the university take on the bloaters bloaters right bloaters yeah bloaters um yeah like i hate those things those were probably like the scariest things in the game like to come up against because they felt like such like like a leviathan of a, a creature they're probably like, the biggest creatures in the game that like are, are like the hardest to take down mm -hmm. um so being able just to set them on fire is great they are intimidating. Like anytime you run into them, anytime you get an opportunity to be able to take them down quicker, they are one of the only uh, villains or not villains. Sorry. They're one of the only infected that I feel like I am going to pour bullets into them because they're, oh, yeah. they're just no other way to take man. this thing down. Yeah. So, okay. So my approach is pretty, I, I'd say pretty balanced. I, I enjoyed using the flamethrower when I first got it, especially in the university. I don't think the, the flamethrower is very effective in um, in settings where infected are running at you. They are good for crowd control and almost like a, a backup weapon. So I, I just find for me, um, I used it a lot on the university grounds probably because it was a new weapon. But since then, I mean, there's really not an opportunity to use it after that very much. Oh, um, not at all. I mean, like, it's not practical at all unless you're one-on-one no. -on -one with a bloater. But yeah. But in the university, when you're when you're facing a lot of ads or when you're in hallways, I found myself using it quite a bit. Other than that, though, I, I try to go as stealthy as possible. Um, I try to use shivs a lot, much like yourself, Dan, um, because they are the most useful. 
um, weapons, in my opinion, in the game. And then I really just rely on the handgun. That's the first weapon that I had upgraded fully. The shotgun's super useful as well, obviously for charging clickers and for and for bigger enemies like bloaters. But I, I maxed out my upgrades on my pistol before I did anything else. Shivs, uh, always crafted, always full on shivs. And then nail bombs, depending on how many times I failed up until that point in time. I try to employ them a little bit differently. If I know that you know I'm being flanked right and I can't seem to get that under control, I'll, I'll typically plant them. But I, I do like going with the you know the lower key smaller weapons and really trying to navigate with stealth and using things like like meat shields and stuff like that being able to 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 not try to be in the middle of a firefight very often right and it, what makes it fun too is that like um when when you're thinking ahead now to last of us part two and they kind of said that you know in a single playthrough you won't be able to fully upgrade everything in the game so it's going to really incentivize playing through part two maybe a few times just because you're going to be able to tackle it so many different ways. And there's so many more like crafting abilities and weapons that you're going to be able to unlock. So I just can't wait to see, there's already a lot in the last of us, like the part one. So to see what they're going to be doing in part two, like I just can't wait, man. I'm so excited. Yeah. Super stoked, super stoked to see the way that you can upgrade the, uh, the upgrade system also looks awesome. Like it just looks so much more, uh, like fleshed Ref out and fluid yeah and and refined i think too like the ui yeah. and everything just looks a lot cleaner so you could really be crafting these things like on the spot and still kind of in combat as well so i'm really looking forward to seeing how that's implemented and how that's all balanced throughout uh the game just because like in this game obviously like this game was a, a at the end of a ps3 like life cycle obviously and it's still phenomenal but there are there are limits to what you could do um, so it, it's obviously easy to see why they've expanded it so much going forward in part two. Mm. But what else yeah, is going a, on at this university? So we get to a, uh, we get to the where we suspect that the fireflies are going to be as you're actually broaching the university. Um, there's a sequence before you get into the mirror looking building that's described to you by Tommy that you would want to go and find the fireflies. That's considered the lab. Um, important background on joel here small sequence but very very telling as you're approaching the university obviously at this point in time uh ellie knows about sarah and what's happened there she actually inquires about um whether joel was married or not and this is something that i did not want to talk about earlier in the prologue but i i actually went through the house and was trying to find indications of whether joel's wife or partner or you know baby mama um, was in the house somewhere and she isn't like, she's not in any of the pictures on the walls. Every photo in the house is, is Sarah and Joel, no indication of there being a family. So, um, that was just something that I took a mental note of because I, I don't remember that being something that got addressed later in the game. And right. while they're horseback approaching the university in the courtyard leading up to the university, she does ask about it. And Joel very, very quickly turns it down. All he says is that he was married and that things didn't work out because uh, he had Sarah when he was young. Um, he intended to go to university. That's kind of how this all starts is that uh, Ellie asks whether he had ever gone to university. And he said he never had a chance to because he had Sarah when he was young. He was married. Things didn't work out. And then she... Uh, Ellie pushes a little bit more and then Joel gets back into that area where he draws a line because she says something like too far and he goes too far and then the conversation just ends there. So it's a different approach because if we talk about 
what the what the stakes were in the house earlier when Ellie brings up Sarah and that does not go well and it's very escalated. Um, he's he's a lot calmer about the way that um, that he approaches the discussion about the divorce or or, or not working out with with the the mom of, of uh, Sarah. So just as a small nuance, but I think it, it's very telling that Joel is obviously more comfortable at this point in time with Ellie being more inquisitive, but he's still very uh, particular about drawing lines and not crossing too far into his path. And just to kind of tie it back to what Nate said earlier, or what he had written into the podcast earlier, this is why I don't think that we'll actually learn more about Joel. Like this is the sequence that I think about um, whether he will give an inch or whether he, whether he will explain a little bit more about not only his past in the in the post outbreak world, but his hesitance to acknowledge anything that happened before outbreak day makes me think that we're not going to find out more about his character. And this is one of those sequences where I think it, it really lends credence to the idea that he doesn't want to address anything in his past. He's completely focused on what the future holds. Um, yeah. Yeah. Thoughts and, on and, that? And, Did you guys notice that part or? No, and that's that's a great point that you brought that up because I think it just kind of goes to show again how Joel deals with things and, um, you know, there was no pictures of his wife in his house and he doesn't want to look at a picture of Sarah now twenty plus years later because that's uh, he seems to be that kind of guy that just kind of shuts himself off or closes himself off to things, um, and I like that that's a consistent character trait throughout these games that you're able to see like this is kind of who Joel is as a person pandemic outbreak or not this is who he is mm -hmm. thoughts yeah no this is this is the kind of character that we have here we have someone who will to the end you know be like this so yeah you, you guys are you guys are you guys are saying everything so you know not much not much to say on that well, I'll give you something to say. I'll give you. I'll. I'll. I'll, uh, I'll pass it to you first, then, because the uh, after we've entered the building and there is a noticeable absence of fireflies, um, there's this constant dialogue between Ellie and Joel that uh, is talking about what happened. Why are they not here? It's really quiet. Um, there is some small uh, physical and like, and like audio cues that, that give you a sense that somebody is around or something is around. And it actually turns out that it's monkeys. So there are no <laughs> fireflies. Uh, there are small little, uh, monkeys that are, that are in the, in the firefly facility or in the lab that are jumping around. And in one of the audio recordings, what you find out is that they were actually testing cures on monkeys mm -hmm. and, uh, the monkeys broke out and then do, did what monkeys do. They bit everybody. Um, and then they were <laughs> infected. And, uh, and then that's how the, uh, the stupid fireflies at the University of Colorado died. Um, they got bitten by some monkeys and uh, that's how Planet of the Apes started. It's true. <laughs> and, and it was at this moment where we kind of, we kind of go in further and then we see, you know, they, they finally find that, that scientist or whoever he is. And they listen to that voice recording and they kind of get that idea that, man, like nothing worked out the way they wanted to. And this whole journey so far has been shit. Yep. Um, and I think too, like this, this sequence really sets up how the rest of the game is going to play out. You know, this is right at the end of the fall sequence of this game. You know, the school guards are coming now. They're kind of trying to track down Joel and Ellie. Um, and Joel actually falls off the second floor of the university and like gets impaled. And I thought for sure when I was playing this, I'm like, this is 
this doesn't look good, man, for this guy. He's 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 not going to get out of this. Mm-mm. Um, but yeah, and then this kind of like this this game takes a big turn here, and it, again, this is late game, but it still just goes to show how they're not afraid to just change it up and just change the expectations and just totally pivot on what we thought was going to happen going forward because. Again, I keep saying, like, in any other game, it would have gone this way. But they decide, you know what? The no. main character that you've been playing as, let's almost take him out. And we're just going to totally switch up how you're playing this game now. Let's, let's give you some ambiguity here as to what's happening. So, yeah, it's just totally, you fall. And you feel that you feel that, that piece of metal kind of go through him. Like, my controller at that point, I think it stabbed me, too. It shivved you, too. It shivved me as well. And then you know that, you know, those guys come in and he's, he's shooting them and, and Ellie's shooting them. And then your, your vision's getting blurry and you're like, Oh my God, what's happening? What's happening? You're kind of like trying to catch yourself and you get on that horse and you know, that just that cut that you need. When we get to, uh, to the firefly um, lab and we listen to the, the voice recordings are very, very telling. So like very. I mentioned in the sewers, um, I really took the time to listen to each of them and uh, and make make sure that getting co- proper context as to what was happening in the lab. Um, the voice actor, uh, weird like nerdy moment here, but also just I didn't realize how common his work was in video games and in animation and in movies. Um, the final voice recording that you hear about um, all the trials that were taken to try to find a fix. Um, or a cure for the virus. Um, the, the the voice actor that's that voices that character on the recording. His name is Steve Blum. Mm-hmm. Um, oh wow! He he voices fucking everything. And the reason I he his voice stood out to me was I just um, I, I signed up for Hulu and I grew up a massive Digimon fan as a kid. <laughs> and he he voices an important character in the third season that I was just kind of briefly watching through, and uh, and his voice immediately stood out to me, and I was like, oh, that's the character that voices Yamaki in in, uh, in Digimon Tamers, the third season. So he uses kind of the same inflection. So I just went a little bit deeper because I was like, oh, he's one of those voices that I feel like he's uh, I've heard it in a couple of different places, very similar to the the voice actor that um, did J Jonah Jameson in the Spider Man animated series, voiced right. the uh, uh, the character in Up. Um, and that was another noticeable moment. So I looked at Steve Blum's track record of voice work. First of all, he's 60 years old. He's been around doing voice work for so long. He has done so much voice work. It's ridiculous. Did you say he's 60 like, years old? He's 60. Yeah. Wow. He has voiced, um, he's everything, man. Too. Yeah. Like he's voiced, uh, he's voiced, uh, everything. in Cowboy, yeah, he's in Cowboy Bebop. Um, he voiced, uh characters in avengers assemble i think he was kang the conqueror he as i mentioned before he was part of uh, the digimon series he also was in naruto he did a bunch he's, of work in a bunch of different anime projects he's, he's very also, nolan northlake he's very nolan northlake yeah, if you look at his track record with video games alone starting in 1995 he is in everything like he mm. is in every franchise he's in doom he was in ratchet and clank he voices characters in call of duty a lot of the early call of duty games Star Wars Battlefront, uh, Halo. Um, he did the voice for Brutes in Halo. So if you're ever wondering who voiced Brutes, who grunted like Brutes in Halo series, Steve Blum, thank you very much. Um, but yeah, he's got a, a massive, massive uh, 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 catalog of work that he's done. Um, so shout out to you, Steve Blum, for, for 
basically providing us with voices in every game that's that's released since 1995. Um, you're averaging about 10 video games a year, so kudos to you for working your ass off, sir. Um, hopefully you're in Last of Us 2. Uh, but yeah, basically we find out from the, the sequence in the university that they failed and tried and failed and tried to uh, reach a cure or a, a scenario where they might have a vaccine and he really describes how there were years where they thought they were onto something and then years where they went and nothing seemed like it was going to work um, and then they explain that most of the fireflies remaining went to Salt Lake City um, and they were close to an antidote and then they weren't close and, and kind of back and forth so we learn a little bit about what the struggle was to be um, you know, a scientist during the outbreak um, and, and the, the struggles that really they went through to try to to, to find a cure um, for for what was happening with uh, with um, with the cordyceps. So at this point in time, uh, we find out that there are mercenaries or sorry, not mercenaries. There are um, like, I guess, officers or military that have breached the university and are looking for people, um, specifically Joel and Ellie. And we start to run away and we engage with a lot of enemies here. Um, there's a lot of hand-to-hand -hand combat, close quarter combat that you have to uh, get through. Um, we see Joel really protect Ellie and become, um, you know, that protector that he's been a lot of this game. But I think it has a, a different significance now that he had the opportunity to give up Ellie, but uh, didn't. And he basically has gotten to a point now where he is just trying to get her to a safe place again. And it actually turns out that Ellie is really the person that takes the lead here. So not knowing what happened to Joel the first time playing this game, um, I think Ellie, it's almost like a transitional period where you see Ellie starting to defend Joel and, you know, she kind of takes the lead in some of the later areas of this, mm -hmm. of the sequence. Um, and it kind of goes into some of the stuff that we'll see at the, at the beginning of the winter season. Um, Shay, I'll, I'll kind of let you take over and lead up to the other big reveal in this, in, in this sequence. But uh, yeah, I think, I think it's a, it's a, it's a perfect handoff and I didn't really realize it the first time I was playing it, but it, it seems like they really, really intentionally, um, tried to lay the foundation for Ellie taking over and being a lot more, um, forward about, about, you know, killing people and, and doing what's necessary. Yeah, man, yeah, she really does. She's at the, at this point, you know, she, she's guiding Joel through this and, uh, it's interesting because this is, you know, when, when Joel's getting weaker and weaker, they get on the horse and, and we, we pretty much kind of cut to black at this point. Um, and then for the more nuanced players here who, you know, have gone through this game, this is kind of where we get a lot of what's happening in Left Behind. And I, I'm sure at a certain point we, we will talk about that as well. We'll kind of, we'll, we'll dabble in it, but um Yeah. Yeah, and and like again, not to jump too ahead either. Um, it kind of like the way the way the next part of this game starts, which we'll talk about next week, in winter, like it's very left and like very ambiguous okay. whether or not Joel is alive or not. Um, and I like that they committed to that because like you really you really don't know. No, it's like is did he survive? Does he make it? Is she on her own now? Um, but those are all answers that we will get in the next uh, in the next sequence. Yeah. So just to kind of give clarity what happens with Joel here, Joel is in hand-to-hand -hand combat with one of the militants. Um, I believe it's a militant. I can't remember if it's a militant or if it's I think a, it's like uh, the cool guards. It's, yeah. It's, it's, yeah, it's the guys coming to pretty much get them. 
and he uh, he falls and is impaled and he is very very injured and you're navigating to try to get back to the to the, to the horse with Ellie and it's a very foggy sequence you you're kind of stumbling upon yourself and um you go into unlimited bullets mode at some points <laughs> um to defend Ellie um and yeah, it's it's a very jarring sequence. It's the first time that you really see Joel kind of physically break down and not be able to provide. And and as they're escaping the university, you know, Sarah is able to get to assist him in getting on the horse. We see Joel fall off the horse. He's very pale. He is not conscious. Um, and and Ellie is super super concerned about him. And then we just see a fade to black. And the very next sequence is Winter. Um, and we'll leave we'll leave the narrative points for next week because this is probably besides the Henry and Sam deaths and besides Sarah dying, I'm going to break it down to four major things that I remember about this game. This is the third major thing in this game that I had my jaw on the floor and did not know what to expect um, at this point on. Um, And it's, it's very, uh, I don't know. I, I just, I I really thought that this game because it had had it, it had subverted what we had expected for so long that there is a very real possibility that Joel is dead. Oh, of course. Um, and you don't really know what was going to happen. It really go does does do everything that that it possibly can to try to keep you guessing as to what the what what the next step of the narrative is going to be and and, and you know kudos to Naughty Dog for for setting this up so well. Um and we'll talk about, you know, what what it's like um, getting into the next stage of this game because it's the first time that you get to really control Ellie, yeah. um, and what and what that's like and the distinction between controlling Joel and, and, and controlling Ellie. So we'll jump into that next week. Um, we've taken a lot of time. We're almost at an hour and a half again this week, but that seems to be where we average our discussion on on, on <laughs> Last of Us chapters. Um, is there anything that you guys want to add on the sequence in the university? Is there anything that you feel like we maybe didn't give enough attention? Any? small details that we may may have missed out on or, or are we pretty good i feel like we've covered everything that we could possibly cover in these that, past few chapters i think we have i think uh you know we talked about this before we said that no one in this game ever feels safe so when when joel is hurt in this sequence you can you can totally buy that he's dead yeah, and that's and the thing. There's a should. lot that happens. Yeah, there's a lot that happens. Even though it's not always like high like action set pieces, it's very they're finely placed the action in in, in this sequence. But like the like, there's so much character development that happens mm-hmm. in this in the um in the fall chapter that um you just you just get so much from these characters. There's so much more heartbreak. There's so much more like devastation they have to face, but it also brings them together more. And I, and I really love that it's able to like balance that devastation, but also that relationship building as well. So we will dive further into uh, the winter next week. This is the end of fall. Um, So we are now, I'd say about halfway through the game, probably a little bit more than halfway given chapters. Um, but in terms of seasons breakdown, we are, we are halfway through the game. Um, very exciting. Uh, I, I am stoked to, to talk about the next couple of chapters because we really start to see some shit go down. Um, and we're kind of in the home stretch. We're reaching basically the halfway point of our survive and endure discussion. So super excited to dive into next week's uh, chapters with you guys. 
Um, we'll probably know a little bit more about The Last of Us next week as well because there are weekly state of plays that are happening. And then also uh, Last of Us podcast is coming out in the near future where we're going to get to hear a lot more of the background from Troy Baker, um, Ashley Johnson, and Neil Druckmann and all the great people that were behind the original Last of Us game. So you guys should check it out. If you're checking us out before you're checking out the official Naughty Dog podcast, thank you. Thank you, Neil, for retweeting him. He didn't actually, but I'm I'm trying to put the the uh, the energy <laughs> there in the universe. Put, put the, yeah. <laughs> so, Neil, thank you for retweeting us preemptively before this podcast comes out, comes out uh, tomorrow. Um, and yeah, I lots of Last of Us on the way. It's going to be a huge month. Um, you know, we're we're wrapping up May right now, and we're just about three weeks away um, from when you when you hear this podcast. It will be just a little bit over uh, three weeks away from the release of part two. Um, and yeah, thank you again, guys, for joining me, and uh, and thank you, listeners, for for joining us in our in our colloquial retelling of the events of The Last of Us Part One. Um, hang on to your bullets, Shay. <laughs> is that is that how we say goodbye now? <laughs> hang, on hang on to your bullets. Your bullets. Hang Check on your bullets. Check your crevices. You Keep wrapped in those shivs. <laughs> <laughs> Keep... Shiv and shank your way. Uh, no, I, I I like hold 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 your bullets. Yeah. Hold your bullets. Hold your bullets, dudes. All right, we'll see you next week. Thanks again. Um, Have a great weekend, everybody. We will. uh, we'll, We'll we'll catch you in seven days.